all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 219 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this would be the Harlem substation episode of the SLS Cast, because it turns out that uh, there is a, uh, uh, it's a historic electrical substation uh, located in Harlem, New York. Um, it is called the Harlem substation, and it is actually known as substation 219 yes it was designed back in 1932 to provide power to the ind 8th avenue line yes history of new york mass transit coming right at you this week and with that wonderful little bit of knowledge i of course am matt and coming to us all the way from sunny california would be our resident sony employee tim and you'd know that if you had one of our sls cast official business cards well why would they need a business card to know that they're listening to the show they've they know that already i don't i don't know matt you you ask for <laughs> My reasoning for things, and I—I I don't have even. I don't you have just don't reason. have reasoning for. I—I <laughs> I just wanted to segue into our business cards. Six years in the making, we finally officially have business cards. Day one work. It's day one stuff. We should have got those a long time ago. So we're we're finally doing that day one stuff. That's right. That's right. Day. You know, 2000, but we got there eventually. So how are you doing over there in Texas? How's that winter weather treating you? There is no winter weather. I know. There is only hell. It can't be that bad now that you're on the cusp of finishing school. You had a child's birthday party this past weekend. I know your house is littered with pet shop kids. Pet shop boys, pet shopkins. I don't, don't know what they're called. <laughs> Not pet shopkins. Shop. Oh, shopkins. Shopkins. Yes, S H O P K I N S. Shopkins. Um, yeah, it's just yeah, it's what all the cool kids are into. I guess I don't know. Um, That's pretty new, though, right? Like the past like year or so, they became yeah within the last year. Because I was at, when I was at Walmart for Christmas on Christmas Eve with my dad. I was in a toy <laughs> aisle, and every single freaking shelf was full, was filled with the Shopkins. And sure enough, for Christmas Eve, my cousins from various family members, all the girls received these Shopkins. And I kid you not, guys, for those of you, if you don't spend enough time around children, or if you don't have kids of yourself, this is like delicious-looking food with personalities and facial features and I kid you not, I promise you, one of these sets came with an oven that you put this little piece of bread or this little cupcake with the personality in there. And you can actually turn the oven and microwave on and watch it cooking inside. And it's still smiling. That's that's like the, the fascinating thing about it. It's still smiling. See, I am not uh, familiar with that particular set. But um, I, 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 let's see, 
my daughter got a set that includes some kind of pool or whatever so they can you know cruise out and hang out by the pool she got one that's a, like a wedding set or something and we're still talking about the shopkins right yeah yeah so yes, food, yes. Food and, and it gets it, there's there's a there's a proper yeah there, it's it's like a a a, a black hole of stupid stuff because not only is they're the Shopkins stuff. There's certain Shopkins that can stack together to form like unholy trinities of other fucking things called Topkins. So you can Topkins your Shopkins. I don't know. I mean, if there's Bottomkins as well, you know, because the who'd want to be a Bottomkin bottom generates. I don't know, but the power bottom generates the power for the top, right? So our kids now on the schoolyard asking one another, so are you a bottomkin or are you a topkin? <laughs> I, I, don't even, I have no idea. I just know that it's not for me. So but that's okay. Yeah, so we so she got the whole bunch of that kind of crap. She got the, the Trolls movie um, on Blu-ray and uh, she got some more blind bag stuff because that's what the Shopkins thing is. It's all blind bag crap. So they can, oh, you want to get this rare one right here? Uh, you know, it's like trading card. A, a rare uh, what? Games a a for rare girls. piece of they have. Oh, food? they have rare Shopkins. Oh, yeah, there's this one. I, I, I got her this one set from Target and you apparently you can only get it at Target. Uh, and it's the, the mystery box three. So this is apparently the third series of mystery box, uh, mystery boxes. And it comes with 40 exclusive Shopkins in there. And, uh, I'm like, okay, whatever. And then like, but the whole thing is, is like, will you get the gold lippy lips? What the That's fuck what is want. lippy lip? It's, it's, okay, the Shopkin is, in this particular instance, is a little miniature lipstick. And so there's this one regular version, and then apparently there's a gold version. And if you get the gold version, that's like the ultra rare one. And I don't even know. All I know is that I let, uh, you know, I let my youngest open it up. And there are other girls, like, 10 year old girls who are watching this happen and they're like oh you got this uh what was it i, I remember the name strawberry kiss that was what they were called. strawberry kiss i guess this one looks like a strawberry and um and, and they're like oh you got the strawberry kiss that's like a really that that's like a uh that's like a rare one i don't it wasn't the word wasn't rare but it was definitely like special somehow like it wasn't you know special thing that that there was a strawberry kiss inside this mystery box package so but that's the whole thing so it's just all blind bag crap designed to just make sure you sink your money and the stupid even just like oh you want a little two-pack of it they're like three or four dollars so i mean it's like jesus christ it's just a money pit but they have trolls versions like like the new trolls movie they're, they have trolls blind bags now they have my little pony blind bags now and so I got her some of that stuff too because she's into that junk as you know, but yeah. So Huh. You yeah. realize all the names for these shopkins could easily be names for strippers. Porn stars or something? Oh, porn yeah, stars. I was say porn stars, know. sure, yeah. Uh, gay nightclubs. <laughs> I don't know. Strawberry Kiss is a gay nightclub. Hey, I went to a gay bar called the Donkey's Arm, so Anything is possible. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Well, what about you? Enough about me and my 
plethora of Shopkins crap dealings, uh, Shopkins dealings for in kids' birthdays. Um, what what have you been up to, sir? Oh well, I had a bachelor weekend. The significant other had to go out of town to the shithole of Miami for work. One list of live music, so I went to this place, um, the Lighthouse Cafe. I talked about it before on the show. It's where parts of La La Land were filmed in. So I was sitting there watching the band, a cover band, and I like to people watch. So there's this one woman who is from, I don't know, like an island somewhere. Well, it turns out she was from an island. Just like doing these weird, inspirational, like Tai Chi, Kwan Doi dance moves with her arms and her hands and just very kind of like dramatic, smooth hand and arm movements and stuff. Very much like Tai Chi. And she was doing all that stuff and the band was playing and she was getting ready to go. And she stood literally right next to me and just whipped her face right in front of my face and said this. And I quote, Meow, 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 meow. Meow, 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 meow. Meow, 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 meow. Meow, meow, meow. Meow. And I'm just sitting there like... Was her name Michelle? And did she ever work at Lemons and Things? I, I was dumb. I like. How do you respond to that? Like, I, I I don't know. I didn't know what to say, so I didn't say anything. And she goes, "I'm not used to." I sent you the text message. What she said. I'm trying to remember what I said. I'm not oh, used I'll look to. It up. Sure, if you need. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have it. Yes, I do. Yeah, I, I never know when it's appropriate to bring up texts from Tim on the show. So <laughs> I, I just I have them. I always have them. Uh, let's see here. We have <clears throat> quote. Meow, 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 end quote. Awkward silence. Quote, I just moved here from a secluded island. I'm not used to talking to people, end quote. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's supposed to be justification for the meowing in my face. Like, well, okay, explain to me, quote, I'm a guy who notices pretty faces. You have a pretty face, end quote. Where the fuck was that? Because <laughs> you said somebody said that to you. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Never mind. You just said that was somebody was saying that at a bar. I thought they said that to you, too. And I'm like, what? No, that was a different instance where it was like this Captain Douche who was, like, trying to pick up this, these, these like, ladies. And he was he just basically just went up to him and said, I'm, I have a knack for pretty faces and, you, you know, whatever I sent you. A lot of good people watching over in the Hermosa Beach, the beach cities area of of L.A. especially. A lot of tall dudes, a lot of tall white guys. It's kind of crazy. It's like all the tall kids end up in Southern California for whatever reason or another, and they all go to the same bars in Kaggles. Like, I'm not talking about just like two inches taller than me. I'm 6'1". These motherfuckers were clearing seven foot easily. Caggles of them, Matthew. Caggles. Caggles. Caggles, huh? Isn't that, right? Isn't that a thing? I thought it was gaggles. Meaning but... bunches? Oh, gaggles? Yeah. I thought it was like, you know, because you, you refer to it as like a gaggle of geese. Oh. And so... So nobody's ever said, yeah, look at that flock caggle. of seagulls, yeah. gaggle of geese, murder of crows, and generally you have also the good for the goose, good for the gander phrase, so... Um, the when dealing with men and women, so I would think it was a gaggle. When you sound like caggle, you know, it sounds a little too close to cankle, and I'm or not kegel. sure where you're going. 
Or Kegel. Yeah, yeah, there's the Kegel thing, too. Do you think Flock of Seagulls, the band, ever thought at one point, what if we were a Kaggle of geese? <laughs> In, instead, I don't know. Good times. Good weekend. Fun. Entertaining. Exciting. And a lot of tall dudes. All right. Well, then let's go ahead and jump into our old mail sack here. Uh, if you would like to send us an email, you can, of course, do that by sending us an email to the show at slscast.com. Um, and then, of course, we have no email to read, but we do have a Twitter follower to mention. And if you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can, of course, do that by following us at the SLScast. So the Twitter follower says, well, the Twitter follower doesn't exactly say anything. I just realized how poorly that was worded. Okay, the Twitter follower is <laughs> Only Film Media. Yes, at Only Film. Um, and uh, apparently it's movie news and throwbacks from the United Kingdom. So uh, thank you very much for that follow. We definitely appreciate that. Um, and I guess without further ado, we can just jump right into the news. What do you say, sir? Sounds good. Alright, folks, here we go. It's the news. First up from me, from EW.com, by way of Derek Lawrence, Lena Hetty, Lena Hetty, we'll say that right eventually, joins Dwayne Johnson in Stephen Merchant's wrestling film. Yes! Uh, Lena Hetty is set to be the queen of the ring. The Game of Thrones actress has joined the cast of Dwayne Johnson in Stephen Merchant's wrestling film, Fighting With My Family. Sharing the news on Twitter, Johnson described Hetty, who will play the film's matriarch, as a, quote, brilliant badass, end quote, while also welcoming, quote, my twin, end quote, Shaun of the Dead star Nick Frost. The two actors come aboard the project only one day after the film was announced, based on the life of WWE superstars, superstar Paige, and inspired by the British documentary the Wrestler is fighting with my family. The film will tell the story of a family of wrestlers with their dreams seeming to come true when the son and daughter get a chance to compete in the WWE. Um, that's kind of fun. Uh, do you think this is going to be more of a serious film, Tim? Or do you think this is going to be uh, kind of along the lines of basically every other wrestling film outside of The Wrestler um, that you've ever seen? I don't know. With Stephen Merchant being in it, I've yet to see him in a more serious role. I know Logan. Uh, yeah, he's and he's be he's serious. writing and directing. Yeah, he is uh, writing and directing the project. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, sounds interesting. Indeed, I'm kind of getting rocked out with all the freaking movies The Rock is going to be in between. Well, it's Dwayne Johnson, and I think it's finding kind of interesting how he is really worked to develop his career and his persona and go and, and bring himself away from the WWE um, to be Dwayne Johnson. And, and and he doesn't, it's not like he's trying to disown the, you know, his roots or anything like that. He is, you know, he's publicly stated that he's, you know, forever indebted to, you know, WWE and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think it's really interesting that now that he's firmly entrenched as Dwayne Johnson, now he comes back and does an actual wrestling movie where he's going to have a 
a role in the film and be the executive producer. It's kind of kind of interesting. Anyway, anyway, what do you got for us, sir? All right, first two pieces of news for me. Kevin Smith posted something, posted a picture of something quite interesting. It's the title page of an upcoming movie that he will be, or he is writing, will direct, and will obviously star in. It is, of course, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. (laughs) The Reboot, that's right. And this is what Kevin Smith had to say about that picture he posted on Facebook. This is not a drill. This is an actual image from my laptop. Yes, kids, Jay and Silent Bob are coming back. Here's the story. Sadly, Clerks 3 can't happen. So I worked on a Mallrats movie instead, which also didn't happen because it turned into a Mallrats series. I've pitched said sequel series to six different networks, only to find no takers thus far. Mind you, I'm not complaining. Nobody gets to make everything they want to make in this business, do they? And I've been lucky to have made anything at all. There's so much competition out there. So many much cooler ideas from fresh folks. And besides, I had Comic Book Men and then Tusk the Movie and Yoga Hosers, which all came together so crazy quickly, and the podcasts. With all of that, how could I bitch about No Clerks 3 or Mallrats 2? Then when I started directing the CW shows... It was such a slice of heaven on Earth. I happily put my Askewniverse sequels to the side. Since I sold Clerks and Mallrats years ago, they're owned by others, which limits my movies with my own material. And I'm skipping down a little bit to his post. And so, all last month, I had the time of my life laughing while writing Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, a fun little flick in which the Jersey Boys have to go back to Hollywood to stop a brand new reboot of the old Blunt Man and Chronic movie they hated so much. It's a tongue-in-cheek, silly-ass satire that pokes fun at the movie business's recent redo obsession featuring an all-star cast of cameos and familiar faces and i already met with the good folks at miramax and they're into it so i'm hoping we'll be shooting in the summer never give up kids you can do anything you want in life so long as you're patient and malleable end all quotes there and real quick i'm going to jump over to the second piece of news and matt i would love to hear your opinion on uh, on that Via CBR.com, Coolio was almost Scarecrow when Schumacher scrapped Batman movie. That is correct. The 90s rap icon Coolio blames director Joel Schumacher for never getting to play the Scarecrow in the follow-up to Batman and Robin. The rapper-actor says that the critical and financial failure of Batman and Robin prevented a fifth film from happening, which could have featured him as Jonathan Crane, the Scarecrow. This is entirely based on an account from Coolio himself. Saying, quote, Batman and Robin was the only Batman that didn't make money, end quote, Coolio told the Burleson Star in a recent interview. Quote, I am still sore about that a little bit, because the only reason I did that part is because they promised me the villain part in the following Batman, which they didn't do because Joel Schumacher, they fired him. He was supposed to do the next two ones. He and I didn't get along that good anyway. I mean, he made a terrible Batman movie. But the next villain was supposed to be the Scarecrow. They didn't do it, though. 
Maybe one day. I'm sure they won't come calling, though. End all quotes there. Maybe he didn't realize this, but Batman Begins was the next Batman movie, and it did feature Jonathan Crane, the Scarecrow, played by Cillian Murphy. So again, that was Coolio was almost Scarecrow and Schumacher scrapped Batman movie. Uh, this was It was actually written by Ma- Matthew Walker via CBR.com and the Kevin Smith Facebook post of his upcoming Jay and Silent Bob reboot movie. Matt, what do you think about those two? Yes, uh, I, I think that... Coolio, I mean, this just goes to show why Schumacher needed to be stopped. I mean, <laughs> just in point of fact, uh, maybe Coolio, because of the hair, they thought he would make a good scarecrow. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I just, um, I actually watched a movie with Coolio. Or not, I say I watched a movie. I, I attempted to watch a movie with Coolio in it several months ago it was on netflix some terrible movie and coolio literally has tried to keep his braids even though he's like lost his hair so he has like three like three of those little braids left that's that's like all that's there it's it's just really sad um and it turns out that no he can't act at all so i i, I think that's uh I, I, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. And then in terms of the Kevin Smith thing, you know, um, I wish him all the luck and all the success, but I, I have to say that I would like, um, I don't know. I, I feel like he gets a bad rap because he, he does the viewers universe things and everybody's like, oh, you're just doing the same shit, blah, 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 and you just have your little fan base and whatever. And you know what? Hey, if that, if that, even if that is legitimately the case, let's just say for argument's sake that that's legitimately the case. You know what? Hey, at least he's making money and he's making, you know, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, you know, happy, uh, and keeping his fans, um, in a very symbiotic relationship so that's awesome good for him but then he goes and he does stuff like jersey girl or um yoga hosers which is awful no not not yoga hosers um jersey girl or the 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 cop movie with bruce willis what the fuck cop out right along cop out cop out there you go um and he does movies like that and then people give him shit because he's not mainstream enough right you know and it's like well i mean what the fuck are you gonna (laughs) i mean you're, you're, you're tying his hands either way. So what the hell are you supposed to do? Um, but on the same token, while I can, de- while I can appreciate, um, the idea of the reboot, you know, it's very meta, right? Because, you know, here he is, quote unquote, rebooting Jay and Silent Bob as they go and fight against a reboot of Jay and Silent Bob, you know, okay. Um, so that's fine. But, um, I think, I think, Kevin Smith just kind of has to come to terms with the fact that um, professionally, that's what he's, it seems to me that professionally, that's what he's going to be about. And, um, and, and that's what's working and that's okay. Um, I know I will see it. I've been a fan of his movies all along, but I don't know that it's anything to necessarily get ridiculously, um, over excited about and, and and because i have a hard time believing that someone who can throw together tusk 
and then subsequently yoga hosers um can't get clerks three made um and I, I think what, uh, honestly, what that boils down to is I, I believe that the pressure is just too great on the film, not on him, but on the film. It's kind of like Half-Life 3, right? For those who follow video games. Um, the expectation is just so ungodly real that there's no way they can ever meet it. So they're just not going to do it. And I think that's kind of where Clerks 3 is. I think that it's just so overhyped and it's just so built up in everybody's minds that there's no way to not crash and burn. So, yeah, I'll see the movie. It's a fun idea, but um, I don't know that it's necessarily anything to write home about. I guess we'll just see if it gets made. I don't know, man. After watching Yoga Hosers, I don't know if you've seen that one yet. Nope. Um, don't. <laughs> I I wasn't really inspired to see Yoga Hosers um, when I was finished watching Tusk. So, I, I yeah, I, I did not necessarily want to see any of the any any more of those movies in that vein. Um, but you know, the Midnight Movie Nights would be prime candidates to talk about this or get feedback on this from. So, when when y'all hear this, send the email, send us a tweet, hit us up, let us know. Um, anyways, um, I'm going to go ahead and. St- save I, I keep putting these in the bank one of these days i'll get to them uh we're gonna go ahead and drop this one i have there's really interesting uh vox piece that i would want y'all to check out if anybody saw the movie jackie and thought wow you know natalie portman kind of sounds weird um there is actually a really good piece over at vox it's called jackie kennedy's strange elegant accent explained by linguists um so you want to check that out that article is written by uh let's see here alex abad santos and it also goes into why natalie portman's accent is really exactly it's really really perfect it's just people don't understand it and it goes into what made it it's really fantastic i highly recommend you check that out but i'm going to end my news with this from cnet.com yes cnet of all places oscars almost never nominate horror flicks but they should this comes to us by way of david priest says here when you look closely at the numbers and the larger history of the industry the only explanation is bias yes this is an op-ed but i found it to be rather persuasive david writes Another year, another list of Oscar nominations. And yet again, as with most years in the history of the Academy Awards, not a single horror movie has been nominated. Sure, the dearth of award-winning horror flicks is nothing new, but as the genre continues to turn out excellent art, it's becoming harder and harder to justify the lack of awards recognition. Before diving into the numbers, here are some of the best horror flicks of 2016 that didn't receive any recognition from the Academy and should have. Now, of course, this is a purely subjective list, but I... um and. And I'm not going to read the um, plot synopsis of these movies because all of these movies we covered. Haha. So he mentions The Witch, he mentions Green Room, and he mentions Don't Breathe. Okay? <clears throat> he then says, okay, but the question is, did any of these flicks actually deserve awards or nominations? Everyone gets snubbed now and again, right? And any film buff worth their salt can come up with a half dozen Oscar snubs in the last two years alone. 
Let's look at the numbers. In 2016, six of the top 100 grossing movies of the year were horror flicks, and 23 of those top 100 were nominated for an Oscar in at least one category. Even if the Academy chose those 23 nominees randomly, they'd have only a 20% chance not to pick a single horror movie. Um, and it then goes on and says that... Uh, Oscar nominees aren't just drawn out of a hat, though. The system's a meritocracy. Maybe the experts just don't consider horror flicks to be that good. But in 2016, the average Rotten Tomatoes critical score for those top six horror movies was 82%. That's about 10% lower than the average for the Best Picture nominees and significantly higher than the average for most other genres. And it says here that the discrepancy isn't just in the numbers. Many of the best directors working today have delved into horror to great effect. The original Alien trilogy alone reinforced the early promise of three industry giants, Ridley Scott, James Cameron, and David Fincher. Tons of other directors have used the genre to cut their teeth, like Sam Raimi, Scott Dickerson, and Peter, I'm sorry, Scott Derrickson, and Peter Jackson. Plus, Kubrick, Roman Polanski, and Alfred Hitchcock all made famous horror flicks during their lauded careers, and none of them won a single Academy Award for them. The Shining wasn't even nominated. And yet The Shining was nominated for a Razzie. So, um, it, there's, there's definitely some more to this article. Also, some trailers and stuff, uh, that, that's worth looking into. But tell me, Tim! Does Mr. Priest have a point? Because, I think he kind of does. Um, maybe not for best. Maybe not best picture. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to make a case that he that 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 we should have something best. But definitely, we've had some really good tech, technical uh, things that come out. Great sound design, excellent cinematography. Uh, we've got really good performances, uh, especially like uh, the witch with Anya Taylor Joy, and then the 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 boy who plays her brother in that movie, like right before he dies. Holy crap! Like. I still get chills thinking about that scene. Yeah, so, that's that's the only of those movies that you mentioned I think got snubbed. I mean, I could see Don't Breathe like uh, editing, but I I don't, I don't know. I wasn't a big fan of Green Room. I thought Green Room was a good movie, but I thought it was a little bit overhyped. But The Witch, for sure. I mean, The Witch is a solid movie. It, I don't even consider it to be... And it's hard for me to really consider it to be a horror movie because of how tropey horror movies have become over the years. It's just, it feels so different. Yeah, I mean, I don't, maybe not acting, though I did like that kid's performance, but again, like costumes, you got cinematography, uh, even some of the sound designs, like from The Witch and all the noises you hear, and it's very atmospheric. So, yeah, that's really the only one that I could totally see receiving nominations or actually award the actual award for multiple categories. So, I mean, I, I get what he's saying. But it's also important to keep in mind, though, that The Witch is vastly different from Don't Breathe, vastly different from Green Room. And a number of other, you know, decent horror movies uh, don't breathe as good because it's more of a thriller than it is a horror, in my opinion, at least. And we do see thrillers get nominated. L, for example, the Paul Verhoeven foreign movie that we're going to be covering today, that's a thriller. And 
Granted, it didn't get nominated for all these like editing nominations and whatnot, but it's nominated for Best Leading Lady. So, I mean, we do see thrillers get nominated, and that's what I think both Green Room and Don't Breathe are. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely agree and kind of disagree with the article. Fair enough. All right, well, that's my news, sir. Bring us home. Okay, so my last three pieces of news, I'm just going to mention one of them real quick. A very interesting Variety article. It's actually an interview that Variety did with Dennis Villanueva. He directed Rival. He is currently working on the new Blade Runner movie, Blade Runner 2049. And in this interview, it's actually pretty cool. It's, uh, it's called Director Dennis Villanueva on Blade Runner 2049, Pressures, Why Dune is the Project of His Life. And it basically goes into detail about why he wants to make the next Dune movie, or wants to make the Dune movie, and uh, why he's super excited for the release of the new Blade Runner movie. And one of those reasons, or one of the reasons why he's so excited about the new Blade Runner movie, they're not relying on digital effects. It's going to be more practical effects. So it will resemble more of the original film in scope, in with the beautiful sets and very the atmosphere. So it's very fascinating. Uh, it's an article, again, it's from Variety.com, written by Christopher Tapley, director Dennis Villeneuve on Blade Runner 2049 Pressures, and why Dune is the project of his life. Do check it out. But my final two pieces of news, I find this very interesting. Via CinemaBlend.com, written by Connor Schroederferger, S-C-H-W-E-R-D-T-F-E-G-E-R. Connor Schroederferger, where the new Halloween will fit into the mythology according to Danny McBride. And it says this, Horror movies have experienced an insane renaissance over the course of the last few years, but the slasher subgenre has fallen oddly silent. Supernatural horror is currently reigning supreme, but whatever happened to a good old-fashioned knife-wielding maniac? That all seems poised to change with the upcoming Halloween film that's currently slated to hit theaters in 2018. Comedian Danny McBride is currently hard at work on the project, and it seems that the highly anticipated sequel will lean heavily into the mythology of the first two Halloween films. McBride explained, quote, You know, it's not a remake. It's going to continue the story of Michael Myers in a really grounded way. And for our mythology, we're focusing mainly in the first two movies and what that sets up and then where the story can go from there. End quote. Danny McBride recently spoke to Cinemablin's own Nick Venable about the upcoming release of the Vice Principal Season 1 Blu-ray, and the conversation eventually turned to his involvement in the new Halloween film. So we can now confirm that we will, in fact, see a continuation of the Michael Myers story when the new Halloween debuts, unlike Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, and the story won't be a Rob Zombie-esque retelling of the slasher's 1978 killing spree. It's not much to go by, but it's enough to pretty much guarantee that we will see the Halloween franchise's central villain return to a status as the shape that terrified us in the first two films, uh, McBride does continue with, quote, Green and I are definitely going to do a straight-up horror. Halloween has always been one of my favorite movies of all time. There is a simplicity and efficiency to that first one that I think allows the movies just to be scary as hell. And so Green and I, our approach is to get back to that, 
end all quotes there. Uh, McBride, well, of course, he's in Tropic Thunder, the show's Eastbound and Down and Vice Principals. I'm excited to see him in the new Alien Covenant, so it's going to be more of a semi-serious turn for him, I suppose. But I think this is good news. I'm uh, glad we're moving on from Rob Zombie's uh, Halloween movies and going to something that's more horror than drama, something more I, just in the same mythology of... Uh, of the of the or the same vein as the original two films. And real quick, I want to close the news out with this hilarious piece of news from www.mir.co.uk. Cinema bans single men from new Fifty Shades darker screening and warns over women's hormones. This is written by Louise Walsh, and it says this. A cinema has warned it will not allow any unaccompanied males into view the new Fifty Shades Darker movie ahead of its opening tonight. The tongue-in-cheek message was recorded on the phone listings for the Diamond Cinema in Navin, Ireland. It states, quote, If you're looking to go to Fifty Shades Darker and you're bringing your boyfriend, you better keep lots of space between you. Quote, It's on an 18 cert... And I must stress that single men or married men on their own, any unaccompanied males, will not be allowed in. End quote. <laughs> Paul Egan, who records the phone listings for the Diamond Cinema, told the Irish Mirror, quote, Well, it's meant to be a titillating film, so I thought it might be better to keep the single men outside until we suss it out. Sure, it could lead to all sorts of temptation with women's hormones flying all over the place while watching the film. It might be better to keep the men outside the door until we see if women can control themselves. End quote. He laughed. (laughs) And the article does go on for a little bit more. Matt, what do you think about these two pieces of news? First one again regarding the new Danny McBride Halloween movie and this cinema banning single men from attending the Fifty Shades Darker film unaccompanied. Well, in terms of the Danny McBride thing, that's pretty interesting. I actually like the first Rob Zombie Halloween. I thought it was really cool. But it'll be interesting to see where Danny McBride takes it. Uh, As far as the Cinema thing, I mean, considering there was a woman in Mexico when the last movie came out that, like, got arrested for diddling herself in the cinema, <laughs> um, maybe they should see what women are going to do first. I don't know. But on the flip side of that is um, this movie has, a, like, a 9% rotten rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So perhaps maybe you shouldn't turn away the extra 30 or 40 bucks you're going to get from the four single dudes who are going to go see this movie. Um, cause it sounds like to me that you're going to need asses in seats. Um, so I think you're cutting off your nose despite your face. Has your wife gone and seen it yet? No, she, uh, she was supposed to read the series with some book club she was doing a year or so back. And I want to say they made it to like the second book and they, then the book, club kind of fell apart and she's never even seen the first movie so good for her you're you're, <laughs> you're obviously doing something right <laughs> indeed all right well then without further ado i believe that brings us to the end of the movies and as i'm sorry end of the news rather um 
And as you guys know, due to our ongoing saga of films, we will not be doing a bonus segment. However, next week, uh, in lieu of the news, we will actually be doing kind of a bonus segment, really. Um, so undo what I just said? I don't know. All right, so here's the deal. So next week, uh, we will not have a traditional bonus segment either because of the amount of movies we have to cover. Um, but we're also not going to be doing news either. Uh, we'll just be doing our straight-up Oscar predictions and then going into the last six movies. Yes, six movies for next week. So, all right, folks, here we go. It is time for... The Movies! <laughs> This week's films are Tana, 20th Century Women, John Wick, Chapter 2, and again, a switch. I know, a switch. Sorry about that. Uh, instead of doing Fire at Sea, we are instead doing L. Fire at Sea got moved to next week. Uh, we will have to get really a lot better about making those announcements on Twitter or whatnot. Yeah. Anyways, where do you want to start, sir? Meow, 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 meow. Ah, so, L? <laughs> 20th century women. Alright, 20th century women. We've got, uh, 2016 American dramedy film, uh, written and directed by Mike Mills, and is actually kind of based on a part of his childhood. The story is set back in 1979. Uh, Dorothea, played by Annette Benning, is, uh, trying to raise her son, Jamie. He is a adolescent kind of rebellious, you know, kind of going through the thing. And so she recruits, uh, some, uh, she recruits a, a a border and a um i guess a, a neighborhood teenage girl or whatever to help her son um to help her as well as help her son kind of get through this time together and learn from each other and whatever blah 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 all right so um this film sees us getting um and, uh, it's got an Academy Award nomination for Best Actress for Annette Benning, and then of course Best Original Screenplay. I, I um, I think that this is a very very decent movie overall. I, I uh, and I really enjoyed it. But here's the thing: uh, um, I found that, especially in the case of Benning, I feel like. Due to the time period or whatever, I felt that, um, that the acting, I felt that the, the story itself was sacrificing its storytelling for the sake of the time period that it was in, instead of letting the time period be the backdrop for the story. And so we see a whole lot of, um, and and what i mean by that is that we we see a whole lot of you know independent woman this and what you know and what it means to stand strong and all that kind of stuff and and post feminism or i guess you would what i think i think this particular time period would be third third wave feminism um and and that seems to be kind of uh, the reliance of where every, all the characterizations come from and where you actually see everything kind of going forward. And instead of, 
Um, and instead of letting that just be the backdrop and then letting the characters actually do their thing with an engaging story, it kind of just seems like the time period is the story. And uh, therefore, it makes it kind of hard to really appreciate the characters that you see. Um, that doesn't mean that the movie fails by any stretch of the imagination because the performances overall are still very strong and I found myself still enjoying the movie overall. I just really kind of felt like um, it wasn't lip service, but it, it was also... Hmm, I guess, I, I guess uh, forced. I guess force would be the right word. So I give this movie four stars out of five and recommend you check it out. What do you got there, Tim? I thought this was a very good movie. I'm a big fan of Mike Mills ever since ever since he came out with the film Beginners six years ago, I think. That was with Christopher Plummer and uh, Ewan McGregor. I believe Mike Mills won the Oscar for uh, screenplay for Beginners and then Christopher Plummer received the best supporting Oscar uh, Oscar for uh, his role. And I I thought with Beginners it's a very personal story that was told beautifully. And I felt the exact same way with this film as well. It's a personal story, beautifully written, beautifully shot, and beautifully acted. I'm not a big fan of Elle Fanning. I kind of think she plays the same character and she sounds the same in every single movie she's in. Um, after a while, she did grow on me, uh, and and I was on her side by the end of the film. But I, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, that it kind of felt like lip service. Um, and it's really difficult when you have characters with strong opinions, or a character like Annette Bening's character with strong opinions, or a couple of the other girls with strong opinions, that it's um, it's difficult to create a nuanced and compelling change not necessarily that i'm not necessarily saying that their views have to change but there's just something that has to happen with their character for us to fall in love with them fall out of love with them be on their side not be on their side it feels like that they were trying in some way to do it in a nuanced fashion but it just doesn't really work out completely it's still a wonderful movie and just what this kid was going through at the time, like I, like I, 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 it felt like I would have been as confused as he was. So four and a half out of five for me. It's a wonderful movie. I think it's safe to say that Annette Bening was absolutely robbed from not receiving a Best Actress uh, Academy Award nomination. She was absolutely phenomenal. I can definitely see this screenplay winning the Oscar for Best Screenplay. So uh, 4.5 out of 5, 20th Century Women, do check it out. Wait a minute. Oh, I thought first... Okay, so she... I thought she was nominated for Best Actress at the Academy Awards. Nope, you're right, she wasn't. Isabella Hoopert, Ruth Nega, Natalie Portman, Emma Stone, and Meryl Streep. My bad. Oh, okay. It was Golden Globes that she got Best Actress nomination for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Okay. All right. Well, where do you want to move from here, sir? How about Tana? Tana. All right. Uh, 2015 Australian Vanuatuan 
film set on, on the island of Tana in the South Pacific uh, depicts the true story of a couple who decided to marry for love rather than obey their parents' wishes. Um, the movie's based on, uh, again, it's based on true story. There was an actual marriage dispute in, uh, involved. But it's very, very much Romeo and Juliet. Okay, just, you know, takes place out in the middle of nowhere. Now, um, <clears throat> I, I have to say that this movie is kind of like the boyhood of this year. And by that, I mean, the movie is good. It is a good movie. But I think that people are more moved by the production and the ideas behind the movie than the movie itself. And much as I was moved and have been moved and I own on Blu-ray Boyhood, I can understand that point of view where if, if it's not as something as unique or the concept in and of itself doesn't grab you as much and you're just kind of sitting there going, it's just a movie about a kid over six summers. Why do you care? I can see that as a valid criticism of boyhood, even though I think um, that you might have missed the point of the experience. The same holds true with Tana. Um, in that, this film is entirely shot on location. Um, you actually had the crew um, and uh, uh, Bentley Dean is one of the co-directors, and he literally lived there along with the crew and they were there for like seven months. Um, and, and these people welcomed them in to learn about their lives, learn about their culture and then let them shoot this movie. Uh, and they use all of the people from the Island and everything. Um, and, or from the tribes and stuff like that in, in order to make this movie. So there's a lot of really cool stuff that's going on behind the scenes. Also, you're juxtaposing this with a group of people because they're real. These are not actors and actresses. These are real people doing real things or in, and to a certain degree reenacting, um, things that they have experienced. And then you set on the, against the backdrop of the volcano and everything. So you've got great cinematography and stuff like that that you've got to work with. Um, and then you're basically just getting this, um, this this tribal version, if you will, of um, Romeo and Juliet. So, I don't think it's a perfect movie, um, because once the shock and awe of everything kind of wears off, and you're sitting there going, wow, you know, you, you, you kind of get into the groove of these people, you basically just kind of start to you start to kind of realize just exactly how much it has in common with Romeo and Juliet. And, and while I'm, you know, very confident that the vast majority of, if none of these people have ever read Shakespeare or seen Shakespeare or seen a Romeo and Juliet production, um, it is kind of interesting yet that they, that people have similar experiences even when they're isolated. It's just that I think, I think this really comes down to editing. And direction, because it just feels like it's like it's a remake, or not a remake, but an interpretation. And so, 
that's where the sticking point comes with me. It's It feels obvious that that is what is happening here. It's not an organic story, even though it's based on real events for these people. Um, and so because of that, four, again, four out of five. It's a really good movie, and I definitely recommend you watch it. Um, I, I mean, once again, blowing us out of the water with foreign movie picks, uh, making it really tough to make decisions uh, on which one's the best. But um, it is definitely not without its flaws, and I don't think it's the fault of the tribes people, and it's definitely not the cinematography. I really feel it's the editing and the direction. So four out of five. What do you got there, Tim? This is a four out of five movie for me as well. A wonderful movie. Definitely worth checking out. It's weird. Parts of this movie felt like it was staged. Other parts of this movie felt incredibly organic. I I don't know if maybe I was misinterpreting it or what, but I kind of wanted them to like go with one or the other. Maybe like the first 20 minutes of the movie or the first 30 minutes of the movie when you're getting to know the characters... Uh, you're getting to know the language. You're g- kind of getting a taste of what the movie is kind of, sort of about. It feels very organic. You know, you, uh, you're, you're immersed into this culture, not really sure exactly where the film is going to take you. And then once the Romeo and Juliet story kind of starts beginning to play out and the action starts coming into play, the movie starts feeling more like a movie and it becomes more of like entertainment. And that immersion was not completely broken, not totally broken, but it wasn't as deep, you know, didn't hold that immersion as powerfully as the opening did. So that's why I give it four out of five. Uh, You know, it's just like a a, a mild directing blunder. I think that's safe to say. Still very good. I'm looking forward to seeing what these guys do next um, and do check it out. All right, where do you want to go from here? L, 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 L. L, L. All right, 2016 psychological thriller directed by Paul Verhoeven. Uh, it is written by David Burke, based on the novel O by Philippe Dijon. Uh, I'm sorry, Jean. I mean, it's a D-J-I-A-N, so I apologize if I did not get that right. Uh, let's see here. So, this is... Uh, a, all right, so this is a movie about a woman who is uh, by the name of Michelle, who is um, the head of a video game company in France, as it were. Uh, and she comes home one day, she is raped. And um, due to some very, very complex things going on uh, in her backstory, she does not report it to the police. But this does kind of go, uh, but it does kind of trigger a series of events a la eyes wide shut, if you will, where it's kind of opening some doors and thoughts uh, and the way she views power, the way people around her view her power and um, how sex and relationships actually translate into the real world uh, as as <clears throat> in terms of holding that power. So... That, and those are all of the themes that are really explored back and forth in this film. Now, there was a movie, oh gosh, I'm gonna have to pull this up. Bear with me here. Let's see here. Holly Hunter Filmography. Do, 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 do. Film. Okay. 
dun, 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 dun. Crash. Okay. So there, yeah, there's a movie here. Uh, uh, James Spader and Holly Hunter uh, crash. And again, this is supposed to be a psychological thriller as well. And because of the nature of the movie, in this particular movie uh, of Crash, where it's fetishized car crashes during sex. So that's that's kind of the thing. It's a very stupid movie in and of itself. But the idea, the provo- the provocateur um, in in us is kind of like, ooh, wow, this is kind of interesting. And you want to kind of see what makes the sexy and the kinky work. Here, it kind of starts to... Re- and, and so bringing it back to L... It's the kink is kind of revolved around the power struggle and rape, and sometimes rape play. Um, where is consent? Where is the line? How does that affect relations and stuff like that? So that's kind of where you're getting this kind of power. And the thing is for me, and I really kind of felt that it was, I don't want to say that it was an excuse to just kind of have sex and nudity all over the place because that's doing a disservice to what they were really trying to do. And it also, um, I feel like it undermines the performances thereof. Unfortunately, um, that being said, I feel like they, like, instead of being mystified and questioning any tantalization that you might feel by what you're seeing when people are exploring the darker sides of uh of sex and power and role play um you just i feel like it's missing the mark more often than it's hitting the mark and you're just kind of like going wow should i just go grab a you know should i just go go access the spank bank and get some bdsm porn or whatever and and that's a dangerous line. That's what makes the movie, you know, the, I mean, it literally is what makes the movie. You're not supposed to think the latter. You're supposed to think the former. And it doesn't always hit that mark. It kind of goes to the other way where it's it's it starts to feel like a parody. It doesn't get there by any stretch of the imagination, but it kind of starts to feel like that. And you're almost kind of like, so is this supposed to be Red Shoe Diaries? Or is this supposed to be truly um something to, to to really make you think um combined with that though again you've got really strong performances and stuff and there's a reason why um oh what is this uh, isabel hoopert has been nominated for an oscar um along with tim i guess if i had to dr- choose anybody at this point to drop out i'd actually probably drop isabel hoopert uh in favor of annette benning that's just my own personal choice <clears throat> At the end of the day, despite strong performances, despite everything that Paul Verhoeven was trying to do, um, I found that the substantive use of the sex fell short more often than it landed. But it's still a good movie that's worthy of watching. 3.5 out of 5. What do you got there, Tim? I, I guess I didn't, not not saying that this is what you were saying, but like I, I personally didn't get find any pleasure in the more risque elements of the film and the reason why i don't think it's it's not necessarily crass or super in your face that's probably not the right way of saying it is that the opening of the movie you know something awful happens to her and then within the first 10 15 minutes you know exactly what happened to her 
And so every time there's like a sexual encounter or a kinky, you know, some kind of form of like kinkiness or whatever, it's coming from a, a, a very interesting place. If it's from Isabella Huppert, which most of these instances are instigated by her character, Elle, it's coming from a kind of a darker side of her, I suppose, than it is from a super sexy Fifty Shades of Grey, BDSM, pleasurable side. At least that's how how I was looking at it. And it didn't affect me that way because of how the movie opens up and what happened to her and what is going on with her throughout the entire movie. I think it's a very good thriller. I think it's a really good mystery. Her performance is absolutely wonderful. I love her character. It's very unique and interesting how... You find out her father, at the beginning of the movie, her father was a, a murderer. He he killed like 25 people in their, in their neighborhood and uh, when she was like 10 years old. And when he came back home, uh, her, she helped her father like burn their house down and burn all their valuables. And so she became this weird like ex- accessory to the crime. And uh, she's been having to live with that for many, 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 well, for pretty much most of her life. Not only her father being this murderer, this evil killer, but then her being, you know, an accessory to arson. It's very complex, but the movie never lets on that it's more complex than it has any right to be. It's a very entertaining movie, it's a smart movie, and it's wonderfully directed by Paul Verhoeven. Uh, He's done a lot of really good movies, and this is as good as all of his other great flicks. It's a powerfully directed film, if not also flawed as well. So when it comes down to it, the movie is incredibly entertaining, and I am sitting at uh, 4.5 out of 5. I'm able to overlook um, many tiny little... Not necessarily inconsistencies, but uh, little problem areas, mainly because of the direction of the film and Isabella Huppert's performance. So highly recommend it. Do check it out. All right. Well, then that leaves us with John Wick Chapter 2, a 2017 American neo-noir action thriller film directed by Chad Stileski. Uh, and it is a sequel to the 2014 film John Wick. And basically, we're picking up shortly after the events of the first John Wick. And we see John uh, retrieving his car from uh, Vigo and Yosef, um, brother and uncle, respectively. Who's played by Peter Stormare? Yay! <clears throat> uh, shortly after that, um, because because of the events of the first movie, uh, it is highly accepted by the people in the know that uh, Wick is back, and as a result, um, a marker is redeemed by uh, Santio, by, by Santino D'Antonio. Someone who basically helped John with his impossible task. And so now John has to, um, he has to honor it. And, and thus the adventure begins because his, um, basically in order to make good on the marker, he has to do a kind of another impossible task. Um, so I'll leave it with, I'll leave it at that. Because I don't want to get into too, too, too many, too much spoiler territory with this movie. 
So here's where I find myself on this movie. This movie, when it decides to do its own thing and be creative and not try to tie itself to the first movie, it super duper really awesome succeeds. When it tries to do things that inherently reference the first movie, or um, recreate things specifically from the first movie, it's obvious and feels really awkward. Uh, so, for example, we have a very fun and inventive scene that I said with Peter Stormare uh, that that you know adds on to the idea of what happened, you know, of why of why John Wick is John Wick, and it's fun. It's fun. It's great. Uh, we then kind of move on. And we see John as he prepares, uh, to go into, he, you know, he's, he's going on his little mission there. Um, and they have to kind of, for whatever reason, they felt they had to recreate the club scene from the first movie. And so they decide to do it as a concert this time. And it's totally contrived and really stupid. Um, but then they follow it up with this amazing catacomb chase. And you're like, ah, there we are again. Uh, you then, and so it's kind of this back and forth where they do things that are really, really neat. And then, um, they do stuff that's kind of weird. Uh, the same stylization when it comes to the, to the translations, um, and the subtitles and stuff all over the place. We even get introduced to American sign language, which is fun. Uh, we get to, we get to see Morpheus. And Neo working together again, briefly, but it's fun. And then, and throughout, throughout, you're seeing great car chases. Uh, you're seeing some really fun action sequences. And then we get to the end. And so we get to the end of the movie. And the problem with the end of this movie is that they both they both deliberately tried to copy the end of the first movie and not the end and then still tried to do something different and uh, and this one and it really just kind of for me stilted it i was just kind of like really i kind it almost i swear to god i'm reaching way way back here so if you know this reference you're going to get it does anybody remember the bar scene in Vanilla Sky where this dude walks up to Tom Cruise's character and says, but if you want it to stop, you can. And he's like, I just make it stop. And everybody in the bar freezes. You get that kind of a surreal moment towards the end of this movie in the, in the, I guess at the ending. Um, and I'm not telling you this because I want to spoil the ending for you, but because I want to know the compare and contrast that you have with that. And it also juxtaposes uh, something that literally took place nearly at the end of the first movie as well. Um, and then we've got the final few shots of the film where they, again, try and do something deliberately different but still but but still lay it out exactly like the end of the first movie so it's just this kind of really wonky ending um and i felt and and i really felt like they didn't have to do that um 
it's a fun, fun movie. And when it builds on what it did before, it does it right. And it's fun and inventive and it's exciting and you'll laugh and you'll cringe uh, for good reasons. But when it's not doing that, it's immediately trying to copy its predecessor and you're just cringing for the wrong reasons. So I give this one 3.75 out of 5. Still worth the watch. Glad I did, but it is not as good as the first one, which I gave a 4.5. What do you got there, Tim? Bring us home. You gave this a 3.75? I did. How funny. We are matching way too much these days, Matthew. <laughs> did you? And the funny thing is, is I, hold on, I'm going to go double check because I forgot to write it down. I just remembered mine. But hold on, I'm going to double check. Give me a minute here. We both gave John Wick a 4.5 last time, too. So we both went from 4.5 to 3.75. That's hilarious. So I, when I went to go see John Wick 2, I saw it last night, so it's fresh on my mind. I, I had a wonderful time at the movie theater. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. I did make sure to watch John Wick before literally i i went and saw it last night too and i made sure to watch john wick before i went and watched john wick too so i mean i was there i was ready my body was ready anyways bring us home sir and so i i, I, had, I had a great time at the movie theater we went with a buddy of mine we had drinks beforehand i had delicious mexican food for dinner had margaritas i was feeling the john wick and um, went to the movie theater, went to, uh, you know, went to a late showing, so it costs quite a bit more money. And I walked out satisfied. Again, I gave it a 3.75 out of 5. When the movie is good, it's really good. When they're not relying on, like what Matt was saying, relying on stuff from the first film, I always hate it when, they're, when they make references to past events, like, oh no, here we go again. Oh, remember that time when John Wick did this or did that? Oh boy, here we go again. I, I just hate that shit. And luckily, the movie quits doing that midway through. And it doesn't happen throughout the entire film. And whenever they do do it, it's more cheeky. Some people were laughing at it or or laughing to it. Um, but it's, it's just frustrating, you know? Like, create something new. Do something different. You have a lot of pointless shots where you see the same thing in multiple shots. Like, they had this very beautiful framing shot of the villain in this museum. And he's standing in front of all these statues and for whatever reason, they revisit that same fucking shot like seven different times. And once you see one cool shot once, it becomes noticeable once you see uh, once you start seeing it over and over again. And so the movie does stuff like that as well. And I absolutely love the surreal moments in both of these movies. And this movie had some really cool moments to it, like the electronic dance music at that club. Um, I haven't seen the first John Wick in quite some time, so maybe I didn't really do a lot of comparisons between the two movies when it came to uh, various scenes and fight choreography and things that took place. But there was a moment when the music kicks in and the fighting kicks in when he freaking just starts shooting people in the face 
which is his signature move, the music just does something very surreal, the electronic and dance music, and it fits perfectly, and it kind of feels like you're in a, you're being swept away into a dreamlike action sequence, and it's really, really cool. I also thought the boss battle at the end of the film was absolutely gorgeous and incredibly inventive. To me, it felt like if the man with the golden gun, James Bond's The Man with the Golden Gun, were shot, were, were made now, they would have shot it kind of like that, you know, where Christopher Lee's Hall of Mirrors or House of Mirrors or whatever, um, they do something like that with this movie, and it really fucks with your perception. And not only John Wick's perception, but us, the audience's perception as well. So it was a very interesting experience, and every single fight scene, every single pretty much scene was something visually stimulating. It's, it's wonderfully shot, and I thought the... Um, the lighting of the movie especially was top-notch and definitely worth uh, mentioning. Lastly, as long as they stop with John Wick Chapter 3, the series is an absolute blast. Um, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to the third one. I, I just wish, I, well, and I hope the dialogue is significantly better as well because this movie, it's all about presentation like it's all about the visual presentation if you think about the dialogue or pay too much attention to the dialogue you'll quickly realize how absolutely awful it is the first movie significantly better in the script department this one it's lacking tremendously and it starts it 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 wears thin fast so 3.75 out of 5. I'm looking forward to watching it again. It's just an entertaining visual treat. So check it out. Now, see, it's interesting, though, that you mentioned the final boss fight. Because for me, all I was thinking of was Enter the Dragon. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about that. So, I did, but, I mean, that's one of the reasons why this franchise is so awesome. Because it just, you know, it's all solid. Anyways, all right, so... Brings us to the end of the movies. Next week's movies. Get get a pen and paper, folks. Uh, we've got Fire at Sea, for real this time. Land of Mine, Tony Erdman, I Am Not Your Negro, The Red Turtle, and My Life as a Zucchini. Those are the movies for next week. And I believe we are now down to the spiel, are we not, sir? Spiel on. Alright, well the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. And you can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. You can follow me, this is Matt on Twitter at Nitwit12345. You can climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. And don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio as well as track us down on the old SoundCloud. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Common, I get to say this. You have to be sincere in your feelings. And fear is one of those sometimes. Doubt is one of those. Jealousy, anger, all your emotions are not going to be considered the strong emotions. All of them are not going to be love, happiness, joy. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week.
Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>